Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. I grew up in Beaumont, Texas, and I was raised at a wonderful church called St. Mark's Episcopal Church. St. Mark's played a very influential role in my formation, and from a very young age, I was told that St. Mark's was God's home, and this I took to be a very literal truth. So much so that it left me with a question that no one I knew could answer, namely that of all the places where God could live, why on earth would he choose Beaumont? (laughs) But I took it on faith that God did, and that St. Mark's was not a place, but the place where God could be found, and that the church building was God's home. And so today I want to tell you the story of when that changed. I was 16 years old and in the back seat of a friend's SUV after basketball practice, we stopped at a gas station to get a Gatorade. And having paid, we were in the car about to pull away when a man knocked on the driver's side window. He was homeless, mentally challenged, and most of his teeth were missing. He was mostly mute, but nevertheless, he still attempted to speak. We couldn't understand his words, and so he handed my friend, the driver, a note card. The card said that he was hungry and that he needed money for food. But whenever he tried to speak, his words came out jumbled, and we couldn't understand what he was trying to say. One of my friends started to laugh, and before I knew it, we were all laughing. Not because we wanted to be cruel, but simply because we were caught off guard. There was something about this encounter that we were not prepared for. And so for reasons I still don't understand, contagious laughter filled the whole car. And everyone continued to laugh as we drove away, leaving this man behind without the money and the food and the dignity that he needed. I went home that evening and I felt awful. What he needed was connection and grace and food, but what he had received was laughter and ridicule. I felt disappointed in myself and I felt an overwhelming sadness for him. And so I knelt down by my bed and through pretty heavy tears, confessed my sin to God, and I said a very sincere prayer. And more specifically, I prayed that God would allow me to meet this man again so that I could apologize and do something to make up for my behavior. The following day, I pulled into a fast food restaurant, and I walked inside to place an order, and the very first person I saw when I walked in was this same man waiting for me. Now, I know that sounds a little odd to say that he was waiting for me, but to this day, I feel very strongly that he was waiting for me and that God had chosen to answer my prayer. I took a deep breath, and I walked up to him, 
I handed him whatever money I had on me at the time. I told him that I had seen him the other day and that I was in the car with all the other boys who had been laughing, and I told him that I was sorry. Looking at him, I could see that this man had compassion for me. He placed his hands on my shoulder, and then he did something for me that I had failed to do for him. He looked me in the eyes, and then he spoke words that I did understand. They were very clear. I bless you, he said, in the name of Jesus. This was a very significant moment in my life, and a moment when I realized that the presence of the living God cannot be confined or limited to the inside of a church building, but that the Holy Spirit is active and free and at work out in this world, and that there isn't one human law or liturgy or tradition or custom that has any power whatsoever to bind or limit or capture the fullness of Jesus's work and presence in this world. This is what Peter discovers in today's reading from Acts when God makes it clear to Peter that his work will extend even to the Gentiles outside the confines of Jewish law and custom and culture. This was no doubt a shocking discovery and an unpopular one. And it's quite understandable that the apostles criticized Peter for welcoming the Gentiles in initially. But having seen the Holy Spirit at home in their life, at home outside the temple, among the Gentiles, Peter's message to the believers in Judea is clear. We can no longer make a distinction between them and us. See, the home of God is among mortals. And so the question I want us to consider today is pretty straightforward. And just to be clear, before I give you the question, it's a question I invite us to consider in this larger context of Jesus's command to his disciples, not that we love one another, but that we love one another as he has loved us. The Apostle Paul sheds light on the radical nature of this love when he writes that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. That is the love that we are invited to know and to embody and to share and what it means for us to love one another as we have been loved by God. And so with that said, here's the question. In today's reading from Acts, Peter says, and I quote, The Spirit told me not to make a distinction between them and us. And so my question is pretty simple. Who is your them? In other words, where in your life might you tend to see yourself as separate from and superior to other mortals among whom God is very pleased to make his home? Who is your them? And where might you need to open your heart to the possibility that Jesus is also at work in their life? 
Because here's the thing, as a society, we are very good and skilled at making all sorts of different distinctions. We make distinctions around class and age and gender and generation and ability and political identification. We make distinctions on how people look and dress and parent and speak and act. It's second nature. And just to be clear, there's nothing inherently wrong with making a distinction because God created us differently and those differences are to be celebrated. But the moment we get in trouble is when a distinction we make makes us feel a little superior. That's when we start to get in trouble. And the reason for this is actually pretty simple. Feelings of superiority, they impair our capacity to love, and they blind us to that great gospel truth that God is very much at home in the life of our neighbor. There's an old story attributed to a rabbi who taught in the Middle Ages who used to ask his pupils, how can you tell when the night has ended and the day is on its way back? Could it be, asked one student, when you can see an animal in the distance and tell whether it's a sheep or a dog? No, answered the rabbi. Could it be, asked another, when you see a tree in the distance and can tell whether it's a fig tree or a peach tree? No, said the rabbi. You know the night has come to an end, he said, when you look upon the face of any person you encounter and see a brother or a sister. Because if you cannot do this, then no matter what hour of the day it is, the time is still night. When Jesus tells his disciples that they are to love one another as he has loved them, it's because he wants them to understand that through his resurrection from the dead, that a new day of love has dawned, a time marked by an understanding that God's home is not limited to any building or shrine made with human hands, but rather that our neighbor is the holy place where God has chosen to make his home. In fact, the Gospel of John speaks of Jesus as the true light, which gives light to every human being. The people we like and the people we do not like, it is Jesus who enlightens their life. I think C.S. Lewis put it best when he wrote, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. He is holy in almost the exact same way, for in your neighbor, Christ is truly hidden. And so here's a thought I leave us with this morning. What distinction could be greater than the gulf between God and humanity. And yet while we were enemies, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that the word became flesh to make his home among us, to reconcile us to himself, to bless all of us in the name of Jesus. At St. Michael's Episcopal Church, our mission is very simple. It is to offer grace and connection to every distinct one we encounter. Because here's what we believe to be true. Every person we encounter is a miracle, a brother or sister for whom Christ died, a temple where God has chosen to make a home, a person just like you. 
in need of love to heal their life. And so what higher calling could there be in life? What greater privilege could one have than to have a mission to offer that same love to more and more people? Because like Jesus said, by this and only this, will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. Amen.